I'm Steve Denise and welcome to The Bookstash, a podcast where I chat with fantasy author Ash Oldfield about reading, writing and everything in between. Kanbanwa. Kanbanwa. All right, that's about the only Japanese I know from watching <laughs> Terrace House. Um, Ash, why don't you tell us a little bit about the latest Japanese book that you've been reading? I feel like I'm being a little bit cunning and conniving this week because... I've not only been trying to get you to read this book for a long time, so I'm hoping this episode will persuade you. Could well do. This is also a little bit of a gateway drug to a very addictive author. So I'm hoping to get more people reading this guy. Mm. So this is Norwegian Wood by Haruki Murakami. And I was going to read a different Murakami book a couple of years ago and I bookstagrammed it of, I'm about to start reading A Kafka on the Shore. And one of my really good bookstagram friends, uh, Nadia King, she contacted me and said, no, 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 don't read that first, read Norwegian Wood. So it's probably the most normal of the Murakami novels, but it's beautiful. So I've read... Two Murakami books, um, and you've been trying to get me to read Norwegian Wood for a yes. while. I've read uh, Hard Boil Wonderland. And The End of the World. And The End of the World. And I've read 1Q84. And uh, yeah, they were pretty different <laughs> books, but I, I enjoyed them. So um, yeah, I'm really keen to hear about it. What a more sane Murakami book. Kind of more sane, <laughs> yeah. I was actually really surprised when you liked, because I think your first was Hard World Wonderland and Correct. The Other World. And I told you not to read it. And I think you did the e- audio book. Audio book. And you really loved it. So loved I it. was, yeah, I was kind of then pushing all of the other Murakami books away. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I, I recommend you do start with Norwegian book, though. A Norwegian book. With Norwegian wood, though. I recommend you start <laughs> with Norwegian wood, though. Um, yeah, it's just, oh, it's just everything a book should be. It's fantastic. It is also, it was written in 1986. So I kind of really? feel like if I give you, that was before I was born. Wow, okay. So I kind of feel like if I give you spoilers today, it's it's on you. Do you know what I mean? Like it's been around a long time. But I'm going to read it. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. I'll Let's hold keep off. this spoiler free. Okay. Okay. Uh, so it's the book is uh, starts off with like a 36 year old man. Okay. Um, what's his name? Toru. What I I, I remember his him as Watanabe. Watanabe because they usually refer to people by their surnames in Japanese literature. Mm-hmm. So Watanabe, uh, he's kind of on a plane and he hears the song by the Beatles, Norwegian Wood, which I'm we were listening to before. Mm. It does get in your head, doesn't it? I really, really wanted to put it on as a, in a podcast, but unfortunately licensing rules <laughs> won't let us do that. Um, but, yeah, so he hears this song and it makes him really sad and yep. really nostalgic and he starts thinking about 17-year-old him. So it's, you get transported in his memory, like not really transported, you know. I'm just, I just had to clarify that because it is a Murakami novel. So he remembers back to when he was a university student, 17 years old, and big events in his life that shaped who he is today. So music, as with most Murakami novels, music is a very un, uh, an underlining theme. So they do talk about songs, particularly the song Norwegian Wood, but a lot of other music from that era. Again, a staple of Murakami, lots of food 
<laughs> uh, and lots of alcohol. American alcohol? American alcohol, <laughs> yes. So they're definite um, common Murakami themes there. Mm, beer and whiskey, right? <laughs> yes, beer and whiskey. So, yeah, so it is about – it was actually – oh, I found out you – know, I was doing some research. This was adapted from a short story just like Fireburn Island was. And it made Murakami so famous that he couldn't handle the fame. I think he had to move to America for a bit because it was just so popular when I it came out. I think I remember out. you telling me about this, yeah. Um, this is definitely a coming-of-age story, mm-hmm. but not in like a like the good things that happened in your life. It's definitely a look on grief and loss, um, even abuse. Mm. And it guides you through those. It almost holds your hand as you look back at tough moments in your own life. It does touch on um, suicide. Yeah. And what I really liked about this is that it shows the long-term effects of suicide on the loved ones that surrounded them. Cool. So yeah. you can you can see that even if at the time. The people seemed okay. You look into their future and you see that actually their whole life has been deeply affected by uh, an, a suicide act, I think is the way you would say it. I'm trying to be sensitive here. So it's such a beautiful story. And what I really, really loved about it is when I read the closing scenes, it turned out I'd reinterpreted the first scene wrong. Completely. Oh, I love that. So yeah. if you reread the first scene, it's totally different and it's much more sad and um, you can kind of almost feel the grief in it. It's really cool. That's awesome. Beautiful, beautiful book. Lots of, I think it's set in winter. There's lots of, it's a very, like lots of snow. It's yep. cold. Um, the, the forest is also mentioned in it as well as a way of lots of um, metaphors and yeah, analogies, yeah, which yeah. you would expect. Again, you, you've got to expect a lot of analogies from Haruki Murakami. Beautiful, beautifully written, beautiful language. I do wonder if Murakami is such a good writer. Or if his translator is such a good writer, <laughs> because it's always just stunning. I told you, yeah, how I saw in my audiobook there was an interview with, I think, two of the translators for Murakami. For 1Q84. For 1Q84, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you did, yeah. It was really interesting because one of them sounded like he was really into the world, I guess, and into the story mm. where the other one sounded very clinical about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think you almost could see the difference in that in the, the in two the writing? parts. Because it was two parts were translated by different people. Oh, okay. It felt a little different to me. I mean, it was translated again in the context of being told as an audio book. And it was interesting oh. to hear one of the writers say, I don't think a, one of them thought there was a lot of value added by a narrator telling a story in an audio book format. Mm-hmm. And the other one thinking that they didn't bring any value to the oh, table, okay. which I disagree with. They but, didn't um, recognize the art form that is voice work. Exactly. Because it is a whole, it's a whole different yeah. way of telling a story, you're the way you use your voice. You're essentially seeing a story go through three different lenses. Mm. So it's really interesting yeah. to know, yeah, what kind of impact. It's hard to know because you read it once and then you've kind of got your mindset already. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, also, I don't think we can get past without talking about this awesome cover art on this copy of the book. I'm not sure if it's the original artwork. Uh, no, it's not. But no. um, it's very cool. Whoever whoever did it, it's uh, uh, quite minimal and suits have, the style. Um, a lot of Murakami's books have those min- minimalistic covers mm. on it. The, the vintage books um, 
by Random House. Yeah. The vin- so it's love vintage. Super interesting for the themes because it has what looks at first glance like trees casting shadows, but then clearly you can see its legs oh casting God, shadows. Oh, my feet. Yeah. I never knew that. I always thought it was the trees. And based on the themes you're telling me, that ties in with the idea of the shadows maybe lives cast or the oh, loss thereof. You're so much more of a visual <laughs> person than I am. And then the colour scheme just looks very... Uh, red, cool black, and, and white. Japanese, and we, we'll, yeah. we'll, put, we'll post a photo of yeah. this actual because um, there's so many. It's been around for so long. There's so many different versions I've seen of this the cover. Reads has a different cover. Yeah, so we'll actually take a photo of this one to awesome. put up on the website. Yeah, we'll put it up on our social media. Mm-hmm. We'll do an Instagram post. Usually, you talk about a lesson that you learn from the book that writers can apply in their own writing. What's your Murakami takeaway from Norwegian Wood? From Haruki Murakami, just in general, is that. Because you've read 1Q84 where he poses all these questions you as a reader want answered and then he never answers them. <laughs> He's great for There's that. lots of mysteries that never get solved. There's, you know, lots of those things where as a reader you go away and you come, you provide your own answers so mm. you, you think about it at great length. You and I have discussed Murakami novels at great, great length and I think there's definitely some value in that. Mm. Um, I'm a teacher in my other life. I want to give the answers. That's something I can't help but do. If someone has a question, I need to answer it for them because that's something I've been doing for a decade. So I think I actually maybe need to reel myself in a little bit and leave some things up to the reader to fill in for themselves. And I think that that will really add a certain um, something to my books, I think. Yeah. So so rather than treat my readers like babies, I think I need to let them fill in some of the story in their own imaginations a little bit more. So maybe the idea is not necessarily opening every door at the end of a book, but leaving some doors closed? Most, yeah, 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 yeah. So, no, 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 leaving some doors open. So closing most doors but leaving one or two open for the reader. I wouldn't do it as much as Murakami does it. I don't think I could get away with it. I think I'd (laughs) get a lot of hate mail. Oh, it's insane. (laughs) I think his stories aren't necessarily about what they seem like they're about at first. I think there's a lot of metaphor and... Definitely, yeah. Between the lines is where the story lives in Murakami books. Um, And that's something else as well with um, his characters. He Mm. always just has one or two phrases he says about the characters. He doesn't actually describe them any more than that. But you feel like you have seen them inside of your head. So I think he's definitely minimalist with his character descriptions. Mm. So less is more there. And also his analogies, any other writer using his analogies, and I'd find it really annoying, but he comes up with some. No, 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 not purple prose, just like comparing one thing to another. Oh, right, Um, yeah. He does that so often and I I can't think of any off the top of my head, but. That's something I've tried. I have actually already tried to apply to my own writing. So I had a short story um, that was published a little while ago and I said his face was like a wrinkled watermelon or something. (laughs) And I got that from reading Murakami. I wanted to come up with my own bizarre metaphor. metaphor. I'd love to get a Japanese person's perspective. Maybe we have to ask our friend Toshiki. Tosh. Um, You know, it's actually Toshki. Really? We've been saying it wrong. When he moved wow. to Australia when he was 13, the teachers told us, told us it was Tashiki and he was just too polite to correct us. So it wasn't until he got married, we were at his <laughs> wedding right. and his yeah. parents were like, no, it's Toshiki. I know that actually. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, we should ask Tosh. But we should get his perspective because I'd love to know 
Well, How his much? wife read this yeah, and she hated it. And so I was saying there's, there was a new Murakami novel coming out and I said I really wanted to read it. And she said, oh, cool, yeah, I'll read that. <laughs> Hopefully it's better than Norwegian would because I hated it. It was so weird. And I said to her, never read another Murakami novel. If this is too weird for you because this is quite normal. That's as sane as they get. Yeah, this is as sane as it gets. Oh, so wow. maybe it's not the writer for you. Yeah. Well, I'd love to just know if like to a Japanese reader, the metaphors are weird and kind of cool. Yeah. And also the way stories told are very different to uh, the way a Western story is told. So I would be interested to have a chat with mm. someone from that culture and if it's a cultural thing or if it's a Murakami thing. Yeah, if you're Japanese, let us know what you think of Murakami. I'd love to hear. Now, I want, like I said, I wanted to be able to play the, the Beatles song Norwegian mm. Wood for you, but I'll, I'll put it in the links in the podcast description. Can we embed like a YouTube clip or something? Because it, it is on YouTube. Yeah, maybe. We'll have to have a look. But yeah, at the, the very least, I'll put it in the comments as a link and okay, we can go yeah. from there. So unfortunately, I guess we'll leave Norwegian Wood alone from there. Um, but do listen to that Beatles song. Um, Ash. What writing tip do you have for everyone today? So last podcast, I talked a little bit about some things you need to take into account when, uh, five things to take into account when planning your novel. Mm -hmm. Today, I want to talk a little bit about world building. So this is something I spend years with my world building and I wanted to just talk about one element of every world that you should always remember, which is the religion. Ah, often overlooked. It is often overlooked and if you think about religion, it's often the bedrock of societies. Even though Australia is not a religious society, it once was, and that's set how a lot of our culture is. So religion and culture go hand in hand. So you do need to understand the religion that is um, the basis of the society you're writing about, even if it never gets mentioned. Mm. So for my books, I know the religion of the humans have religion, the dragons have religion. Um and the witches have a religion, but I'd never, I don't really talk about it, but it's something I know and I think it makes my writing that much better. Mm. So when it comes to religion, I've spent hours researching this and how did religion first come into being? So humans were very superstitious. They had a fear and an awe of the natural world. And if we have a look at ancient cultures around the world, their um, religion of choice, I, I guess, was based on an element of um, in their life that they needed for survival. So a very easy example of this is Egypt, mm-hmm. well known for needing the swelling of the Nile River. In ancient Egyptian culture, they had a river god yeah. and every year they would throw a virgin in the river right. to appease the river god in the hope that it would swell mm-hmm. and it would fertilise and water their crops. So that was something for them, that river god, and then the sun god for making all of their plants grow. And that sun god was then something that in, I guess, more modern, but for us still ancient Egypt, they then always had that underlying theme of the sun god in their religion. Mm. So you need to think about when you're building your world, what do these humans or what do these people rely on to survive? And then that really gives you that springboard to create that really cool and unique religion. Um, I guess too, yeah, like religion's going to have a lot of impact on the sayings people use and the cultures and habits. and. Absolutely. So we've been watching a TV show lately where they, when they swear, they say the God's name. Ah, yeah. And you didn't realise that that was the God's name that that was saying. <laughs> so, yeah, that's definitely something <laughs> yeah, yeah. to um, think about. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a lot of flavour. Mm. No, cool. That's a good one. 
your accountability time, Ash? I finished writing a really difficult scene. I've been sitting on it for about three weeks, procrastinating. I baked a cake <laughs> because I just could not get this scene right. And then yesterday I sat down and I just got it written. Nice. I'm also going to eat some of that cake right after this podcast. Oh, yeah, cake. <laughs> uh, banana cake. It's so good. But no, I got I got that scene written, so it's so been no more bugging banana me. Cakes. No more banana cakes. No more housework. <sighs> No more anything. I'm just going to keep writing. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I've got through that. Can we hear anything about what the scene's about? Any spoilers? Any teasers? Not if you haven't read the other books because okay. that's kind of a spoiler for book two for where I'm at with the story. A- right. Anything I talk about for book three is going to be a spoiler for book It's true. Two. It's pretty dangerous. Yeah, so I don't really want to go into it. Once we stop recording, I'll let you know. All right. I want to know. Um, okay, then we need to give these people something to do. So uh, writing prompts. And remember, guys, we really, really, really want to hear what you're writing, see your stories. So um, if you haven't already, follow us on social media where the which is one word, bookstashcast on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also find us by searching for the bookstash on Facebook. So wherever you want to post, let us know. Um, you can also go to our website, bookstashpodcast.com. And uh, also you can find details about our stuff on asholdfield.com. All right, Ash, go. Writing prompt. Writing prompt time. Now, I did find these online. I think they came up on Facebook and I just picked some of my favorite ones for the next few weeks. Mm. Um, so this one is... You are possessed by a demon, but you very quickly realize he's never done this before. <laughs> That's your writing prompt. That one's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so that can be some really fun stories there. Yeah, excellent. All right, I'm definitely looking forward to see what people have to write about that. I know people have been writing stories because I've had some people tell me they have. They just haven't shared it with me yet. Cool. We'll need to see them. Yes. Also, if you like what we're doing, guys, um, leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast app is. Um, They really help us get found more easily. Yeah, I was going to say, they help others find us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice. We like to hear what you think. It's also nice. It puts a smile (laughs) on our face. (laughs) Yeah, we want to hear what you think. So definitely let us know. Um, So, yeah, you've got lots to work on with that cool writing prompt and some good tips. So until next time, keep reading, keep writing, and we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon.